All right, well, let's start with Galatians chapter 4. We're just going to read the first few verses. Actually, let me go back to Galatians 3, and I'm going to start in verse 27, and we'll read into the chapter 4. So again, I'm reading out of uh, an ESV Bible that I have, um, one of my little pocket Bibles. I, I love this Bible. You can see it's gone quite a few places with me. Um, but uh, Galatians 3, starting in verse 27, here's what it says. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we are children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Katie. So we're looking here at Galatians. We're looking at these passages. And, you know, Paul is talking about heir. So we have gone through this whole book of Galatians talking about being justified, not by the law, not by works, but being justified by faith and what that means. We've talked, so we talked about justification. We've defined that. We've talked about atonement and what atonement means. And, and today we're getting into this new word of adoption. And what does that mean? And how, how does this look spiritually and those type of things? And uh, we'll, we'll jump into that in just a minute. So first, let, let me remind you that, so what we've read here, hey, good morning, mom, dad. So in chapter 3, verse 27, Paul is talking about how first we are, we're invested with the character of Christ. When we come to know him, we are, we're invested with, we are given the righteousness, right? You are clothed with Christ in his righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness, which we are clothed by. You know, he then talks about how that begins to uh, uh, abolish. So verse 28 of chapter 3, it's, it abolishes. So Christ in his righteousness abolishes these secondary divisions. It, it abolishes these divisions that we so often, often fall under, these divisions of, of race, of rank, of role, right, that we use those to determine Who's better? We, we uh, I mean, even in our American culture, right? We, we call you blue collar or white collar or red, yeah, redneck or, you know, we, we have these, these classifications that we use to determine your worth to society based on what you do instead of who you are, right? I, and, and Paul's talking about that in a spiritual sense that this is just not, just not right. So, he brings that whole kind of 
summary to mind at the end of chapter twenty, uh, chapter three, in verse twenty-seven, twenty-eight, and and then he he begins this idea that we have so because we're invested with the character of Christ, because we're seeking through Christ to abolish all those secondary things that it's no longer Jew and Greek, slave or free, you know, any of that stuff. We're now all heirs. We are now all heirs to the promise, the promise that came through the covenant with Abraham, the covenant of grace, not the covenant of law. That was the Mosaic covenant. Through the covenant of grace and the promise of Abraham, we are all heirs. You know, he, he begins to give this, this picture. Paul was very skilled. He, he used these word analogies, almost like Jesus in his parables, but he used these word pictures to help you get the point. He used those word pictures, so he's moving into this idea that we're moving from minors uh, with no rights whatsoever to becoming fully-fledged children with free access to the Father, that we have free access to a perfect relationship, free access to God, no longer just minors or, or slaves, right? So just a reminder again, back to, because this ties in a lot with chapter three and where he was going. So he, he's, he's now given us three word pictures. The first one is the law as a jailer. It, it locks us up. It, it seeks to condemn us. It, it seeks to punish us. Okay, we'll use that. We'll use the term punish. The jailer, the law as jailer seeks to punish us. And there's no escape possible from the law except when Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty, right? To die on the cross for us so that we could be justified, make atonement for us. You know, then he gives us this picture at the end of chapter three as well of this custodian, the guardian of the children that prepares us, that watches over us, that um, directs every step that we make as a child, right? That they... they um, they keep track of all of our activities. They tell us when we can go out, when we can come in, kind of like the government right now. Uh, but, you know, they keep track of all of our activities and they discipline us, right? That was what the governor did. That's what a school teacher, schoolmaster, living governor did for you. Um, and now he's giving us this picture of we're heirs. We're no longer under a jailer. We're, we're no longer under a strict guardian we are now heirs through Jesus Christ, heirs to the throne of God. I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. You are heirs to the throne of God through Jesus Christ who came and died. And he gives this picture in chapter 4 of a that there's this set time that the Father has set aside that you know, before all those items could be yours as a minor, that you are under these rules. The law was made to give us the rules and the guidance and the direction and be our governors until such point that Jesus Christ comes into our lives and then the Holy Spirit begins to work on us, like we said, inwardly, so that we want to be different outwardly and corporately. So it doesn't just leave us the way we are when we're saved. We don't still continue to live in sin. We seek to want to be different. Morning, Hugh. So we've gone from this this guardian, this custodians, these trustees, 
to now living as heirs of Jesus Christ in the throne of God. You know, minors, it's just, it, it's, you know, it's interesting his, his movement from minors that that minors where you 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 may have been heirs you you might as a minor your parents are dead kind of like a, a child king right you know you read throughout Egyptian history and other histories and you see these childhood kings that really they're they're just the figurehead it's their custodians that rule it's their grand their mother or their grandmother or whoever that rules through them they're not really the the heirs at that point. I mean, they may be futurely, but they're not yet because they're still minors. They're not making their own decisions. And Christ is saying through the Holy Spirit, you can move from being a minor to being full-on fledged children and heirs that you now have at this certain age have been given the rights to the kingdom through Jesus Christ. Right, And that right is the promise of a relationship that you can go to God the Father anytime you want. You know, Scripture says we have not because we ask not, right? You know, we, we sometimes forget Christ came to make a perfect relationship for us between us and God the Father. How do you know the Father's heart? You know, you as a child, you know, as a young child, you know, you, you may be just living under a governor, right? But then as you grow up, you have this mutual respect and this ability to converse with your father like you would your earthly father. And I can call up my dad whenever I want. Um, and maybe I don't do it often enough. Sorry, dad. Uh, you know, but, but we can call him up whenever we want. And here we have a heavenly father who says, Come on, I'm right here. Call me up. Learn from me. Talk with me. Engage me. Have relationship with me. And yet, unless we do that, he's nothing more than a dad sitting in another room that we never approach and never ask. We're heirs to the throne, to a perfect relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We are able, through reading the Word, to have the Holy Spirit quicken our hearts to what's being said. We, we have the ability to pray and come into the presence of a holy God who created the entire world. And we are his masterpiece. We are his poema. We are his beautiful writing. He loves us. He has said you are very good, right? He wants that relationship with you. You know, Paul and all of this, he reminded me of the verse in Romans, Romans 8, uh, 15 and 16. For you did not, so we received the Spirit, but it's, it's easy for us to then fall back. And he goes, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit inside of us that we are children of God. What he's saying is, you, you didn't come to Jesus Christ. You didn't get saved and have that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, come and live with inside you to fall back into your spirit of fear, into the world around you that is just so 
is nothing but the jailer that's holding you tight. It's through understanding the gift of adoption. So, so those things we talked about, justification, atonement, and adoption, these are gifts, these are graces of God that are given as a free gift, right? You know, uh, my, my dad would always use the illustration of a pen. He'd always have a pen in his pocket, and, and he would talk about how this is what God's gift is for you. See here, here you go. What do you got to do? You got to reach out. Somebody would take it. He goes, okay, there you go. You took the gift of God. God is offering to us these gifts for us to take, for us to say willingly, yes, I will receive this great gift. That's what these gifts are of justification, being made just as if you didn't sin, right? Atonement, being made at one with Christ and in adoption. What is adoption? Adoption has so many different terms to it. So when we think about it, you know, even just regular adoption, right? We cease to have our former name. We are no longer known as whatever we were. And we are now designated after the name of the person that adopted us. My children. So, uh, Gladriella, Ella, her original name was Shen Fuyi. Shen Fuyi. So, you know, in Chinese culture, Shen would be the family name and Fuyi would be the, the regular name, right? So, the surname is Shen. Like, my last name is Cecil. Uh, we would say Cecil Curtis, in which some people do anyways because. I have two first names and two last names. I, you know, everybody gets confused, but uh, um, especially depending on the, the culture and the area you grew up, if you knew Cecil as a first name. So um, Cecil and Beanie, you know, okay, anyways. Um, but we cease to have our former name. So when we adopted them, we changed their name. So it's Galadriella Fuyi Cecil. So we kept her name as her middle name. But in adoption, you take on. You are no longer that other family. You now get the full claim and rights. She is my daughter, full on. She may not look fully like me. She may have a darker complexion than I do, you know, but she's still my daughter, right? 100% my daughter. Same with XJ. XJ was, um, uh, uh, was um, I always want to say it wrong, Fong Xiaojian. Fong, Fong. It's spelled like Fang, but it's Fong. Fong Xiaojian. And so his name is Keegan Xiaojian, XJ. So it starts out with the letters X and J. That's where his nickname comes from because it's easier for him to sign X and J. But we adopted them. They are now Cecil's. When God reached out and offered you this gift of adoption, he adopted you and made you his child. You are a child of God, the creator, the father of the universe, the great I am. Who when people asked his name, all he had to say was, I am. I am that I am. <laughs> you know, I am. The great I am is your father. Think about that. When we go back to that verse in Romans, Paul's going, you have the great I am as your father, and yet you're allowing yourself to fall back into the slavery of the law, slavery of fear, slavery of not being enough. And he's going, that's right. You're not enough. You never will be enough. 
Praise God, Jesus Christ came so that you never have to be enough. Quit trying. Just love God. And as you learn to love God, you learn to love others more. That's all you got to do. You've been adopted. Therefore, you're good enough. When you don't feel good enough, God is saying, no, you're good enough. I put my name on you. You are good enough. You're good enough because I say you are. <laughs> That's what God does. He is, you've ceased to have your former name and now have his name. You know, the next thing that adoption does for us is it, it we change our abode, right? We change our place of inhabitants and, and, and earthly. You know, our, my kids quit living in China in two different provinces there, living in children's homes um, to living in America, to living with us as a family and moving with us and all those things. As spiritual children of God, that's when we begin to understand those verses like this is not our home, right? This is not our home. We are not children of this world. We are children of God, children of heaven. We were meant for something more. Yeah, fostering the dot, exactly, that's awesome. Yep, this, this whole idea we change our abode. You know, I think this is the one area as I was looking through this idea of adoption and I'm looking at it. Um, we change our abode from being in these walls, right? You know, in our home to then being in the church and the family of God. That's the spiritual gift of adoption. And I think, I think we don't talk about that enough in the church. I think we've lost the art of dreaming about heaven. I think we've lost the art of longing for that place beyond the shore, right? All those old ways that we used to put terms to it. This world and its distractions have become so prevalent that we've become argumentative. We've become political. We've, we've become so distracted by our society around us that we've forgotten that we don't belong to this world. We are foreigners and aliens longing for our true home. Our hearts will never be satisfied here it's always going to be something that we're longing for more, and it's because there's a hole in our heart that is only filled when we reach the other side. When we're in heaven. The only way that we can get a glimpse of that is to be involved in a family of God together who are all longing under the same mission and heart. That's not a denomination, okay? Uh, I'm not saying, okay, you all got to be Nazarenes, right? Or you all got to be Wesleyans, or you all got to be Christian Missionary Alliance, you know, because um, that's where my folks are going now. Uh, you know, I, we're, not, we're not saying that. I'm not saying you all got to be Methodists, or you all got to be Baptists, or you all got to be Pentecostals, or, you know, but we all are longing 
And when we join together in a family of God that are all seeking to love God and love others more and constantly reminding ourselves that this isn't our home. So when we get overwhelmed by the politics going on right now, when we get overwhelmed by is the governor making the right decisions or the president making the right decisions? Is this all a political ploy? Is it all this? Is it all that? I don't care. I really don't. I, I'm at the point anymore that I don't even want to talk about it because all I care about is reaching those out there that are hurting because of this, that are, are longing for something more. <laughs> and they're longing and reaching for God because they don't even know it, but they know that God's the only thing that can fill them. And we know that when they're justified, when they find atonement, and when they realize their adoption, they've been given a new name, that they are no longer what they've been told all their lives, and they believe all their lives, and the lies that they're believing, they no longer are that. They are children of the God. They are masterpieces, right? Greater masterpiece than anything that sells for millions of dollars. When we realize that this isn't our home, something changes in us. There's another thing that adoption does, that it, it changes the way we dress. And I don't mean that in a legalistic standpoint, okay? You've all probably been to a church. I know, um, to be completely honest, I've had numerous people tell us about our church here at Jeff Naz that we, for decades, were known as that church, the church that was like very formal. Like if you didn't wear a dress and you didn't have a suit and tie on, you might be kicked out, right? It's that restaurant where you walk in and jackets and ties are required. And they say, well, we have some for you, but they're the ugly ones that they know. They give you the extra large when you need a medium because they want you to look different, right? You know, they, they make you look different. And that's not what I'm talking about. We dress differently because we no longer put on our body. We no longer put on who we are and our fallacies. When we are adopted by a king, we begin to put on the garments of salvation. We put on Christ in his righteousness. And, and, and I don't know about you, but that should give you a new, new, new jump in your step <laughs> because you begin to realize it's not me. I am a broken human being who, depending on the day right now, yesterday was a rough day. I'm being completely honest. Yesterday afternoon and evening, I was, uh, you know, my blood pressure was high probably. You know, I was stressed. I was worried about all this stuff. I had people blowing up my phone. When are we open up the church? I, I was just, I was stressed beyond, you know, here because I had multiple people like blowing up my phone. And, and then I realized it's not mine to worry about. Yeah, I'm leading through it. Yeah, we're going to open up eventually. Yeah, there is regulations and stuff that are already coming down about what church will look like, and it's going to be different. But you know what? We'll get through it because that's not what matters. What matters is we're reaching others, and it's Christ and his righteousness. It's not my fallacies. It's not my fear of making the wrong decision. It's not my fear of, of whatever. It's him. It's Christ and his righteousness. And he goes, you're my child. Rest in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. <laughs> Morning, Megan. 
So we cease to have an adoption. We cease to have our former name. We change our abode, change our home. We change our dress. And the last one is we change our status. So, you know, in, in today's culture, when we say status, we, we think Facebook status, right? We, we, we think those type of things. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you change from in a relationship or you're married or what, you know, those type of things. And it's, it's not um, official until it's Facebook official. You know, you might have heard terms like that. But, but what Christ is talking about in adoption and what Paul's talking about here in Galatians, when we are adopted, we change our status, we, we change our, our rank, our role, even really our race. You know, we never change from white to, you know, what, but we change our earthly human to a heavenly race, right? We, we change our status from paupers to kings and queens, to princes and princesses, right? We change, Christ changes our status. That's what he does. You know, the beauty of all this and natural adoption, it's temporary. It's temporary. One of these days, you know, I'll pass on. My daughter will get married. She'll always be kind of a Cecil, right? She'll always will be. I know some who, yeah, it's complicated, right? Um, it's all complicated. And, you know, there's... There's natural adoptions that I, I know some who, when they got into their adult years, they really didn't continue to reach out to their adopted family. You know, they loved them, but because they didn't have that, I don't know, right? They, they didn't have that connection. Thank, thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Follow through, Penny. Yep, uh, appreciate that. You know, it's this... They didn't have that connection, and so maybe they moved on. But the thing about earthly adoption is that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a spiritual adoption, this eternal adoption, that we, when we accept this gift, we follow after Christ, we are in it. He loves us. He's given us his name. He's helped us change our abode. He's changing our dress, and we get to change our status to who we are. We are children as the king. Of, of the king. And when we do that, we have to be mindful that we don't pick it back up, like that verse in Romans, right? That we fall back into the spirit of slavery and fear versus the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God. We're no longer slaves. We're... Our worth is determined by that rank and race and role. We're no longer under that harsh tutelage of the governors like the other illustrations. We're no longer under the curse of the law and, and responsible to a jailer. We are now given the gift, the gift of the promise of Abraham's seed through Jesus Christ of which then we can cry out, as Paul said in Romans and so many other places, right? Cry out, Abba, Father. There's an intimacy to that. There's a familiarity with that. You know, even in Kings of the Old, look at the story of Esther, right? She was, more, she was afraid 
um, to go before the king because the king was supposed to call you. You didn't just walk into the presence of the king unannounced. And God, the Father, says, you can come to me any day, any time, unannounced. Ask of anything of me, because I love you. That's what God does for us. He justifies us. He makes a way for atonement. And he adopts us as his own. We were intended we were created to be his children. We walked away. And yet he still said, you're my child. You have a new name. <laughs> There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine, right? We have a new name. A new place of residence because this world is not ours. The fears of this world, the anxieties of this world, they're temporary. They affect us for a moment, but they fall away when we change our dress and realize the salvation, the grace that we are under and sit in awe and wonder of the grace of our loving God who changes our status from paupers from sinners to kings and queens and princes and princes and princesses <laughs> for his namesake, for his glory. It's the gift of God that he does in us. Remember, if you remember, we use the illustration of the Prodigal, or the, the Good Samaritan, and we often talk about the Good Samaritan, and we're supposed to be the Good Samaritan. And remember, I said, no, we're the individual broken <laughs> on the side of the road that couldn't take care of themselves and left to their own graces would have died. But Jesus, the Good Samaritan, stepped in, who didn't care about race, didn't care about rank, and didn't care about role, and is willing to pay the price for our healing. That's the story. You have been adopted, not because of any works on your own, but because of the faith and trust that you have in Jesus Christ. We are changed inwardly through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, we love you and just thank you for what you did for us by justifying us, by atoning for us, and by adopting us. Those mysterious acts and gifts that happen in a moment and yet happen over a lifetime as we understand them more and more and more. They're given to us in an instant in great now and not yet because we don't always fully understand the work. And as your Holy Spirit begins to reveal them more and more and more to our heart, they begin to grow in us and overwhelm us with the gift, that grace that you give us. A grace upon grace 
upon grace upon grace to broken sinners who deserve nothing, yet you still give. God, we love you and praise you for that. Lord, we humbly, graciously come before you with awe and wonder at who you are. Thank you for lifting up our heads and as we kneel before you, looking us in the eyes and saying, you are my child. No child of mine must fall before me that I won't lift them up. Thank you for the grace you give us. We are heirs to the throne. May we live more as a part of that heavenly mindset than we do of the earthly mindset, especially right now when unknowns and fears and politics and uh, news and so many things bombard us, God. May we listen more to you than we do to the voices around us. May we listen more to your word than we do to the news and the talking heads that we see. Holy Spirit, give us discernment in the day to glorify your name, to focus on how we can help, how we can reach out to others. Not for the name of our church, not for the name of ourselves, but for your name and your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful day, and uh, hopefully see you tomorrow at 930 again.